As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. I've got on the line, as always, the Athletics beat writer, the Athletics Mets beat writer, I should say, Tim Britton. Tim, how's it going? Uh, I always like how you say on the line, like, you know. Like we, in case Like you've we, dialed we, the operator and, and, and gotten, and, and the operator's gotten in touch with me and we've been able to, to work this out somehow. I just, I, I think I want to make it clear that we are not in person. And in fact, I think this is a little bit of the Sausage Factory stuff is, um, we have really not had, like, I think that the first conversation we had as a, as a warm-up for this podcast was probably the longest conversation we've ever had. Tim was a guy I would say hello to in the press box, but we, this is, we, we are, we're getting to know each other very publicly here. <laughs> Via Zoom, where we don't really see each other's faces. Right. It's going to be extremely awkward. I want it to be by the time I see you in person, because at some point we'll run into each other in person again, I assume. And I want it to be by that point that it's like a Mike and the Mad Dog thing where we've had just like outrageous on-air success, but by then we totally hate each other. <laughs> like one of these like working relationships that you can't get out of because the, the chemistry on the podcast is just unbelievable, but underneath it all is just this like seething rage i feel like you you're already there but i like you still whereas i i just want us to be friends i don't care about the success of the podcast <laughs> all right uh, well speaking of success in an in an odd segue the mets are, are uh flying high on on april 20th if you'll excuse the the reference the seven and four sitting atop the NL East, the only team above 500. And I think the best news of all, Tim, is that I have added Narco by Timmy Trumpet and Blaster Jacks to my morning run Spotify playlist. And I feel really good about it. Do, do you start sprinting when that pops on? Like there are certain songs when I <gasps> go for my yearly run that uh, like, you know, you pick up the pace because that song has come on uh, it's on more it's i it that does happen with certain songs with with that one with with narco i try to i try to do it at the beginning it feels like it makes me feel a little bit like edwin diaz entering a game but also um like i'm entering like a strobe lit 
bullfight in a dystopian future. And that is like very much the aesthetic I'm trying to cultivate both in my workouts and, and everywhere else. So it's, it's a, uh, it gets me going for sure. And it's gotten the Mets going. I mean, Diaz has looked good uh, in his last two save chains. He finally got uh, some save opportunities, uh, as fantasy owners will let you know. Uh, he went a while before getting them. Uh, and, you know, the Saturday day, the Saturday first game in Colorado when he struck out the side looked about as good as he had uh, all season. Uh, and in- That was a good, there was, there was some good pitching in that game. <laughs> he capped off a game in which the Mets struck out 17 of the 26 batters they faced. 65% I was thinking strikeout rate. When, when DeGrom did, failed to strike out his 10th batter in a row, my first thought was like, okay, well, maybe they'll go to extras and he'll get another opportunity to get to 10 here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was doing the math to see, like, what would be the equivalent of the 20 strikeout game in, in seven innings? And, like, what it, you know, if DeGrom had struck out, uh, I forget what he was capable of striking out at that point, I think let me see here i've got it in front of me one two uh he'd only gotten two outs uh not via strikeout at that point so like he could have struck out 19 guys uh in seven innings and how we would have viewed that compared to 20 over nine uh if we would have been upset that he didn't get the last two innings to try and go for uh, a record or something like that uh the, the rockies do strike out a lot uh in general a lot of teams do i mean no one yells about tom Seaver's 10 strikeouts coming against the padres who struck out more than anyone that year uh you know those are i didn't even know it came against the padres yeah uh but you know Seaver was the last 10 outs of the game like he could have kept going conceivably um so and it's uh, crazy as, as gary cohen pointed out during the game it's sort of crazy that in all these years with all these strikeouts like um as i'm sure most of our listeners know every single year since 2008 has been a new record strikeout rate for major league baseball players as a, as a whole and yet in all that time we haven't seen anyone not not degrom not clayton kershaw not all, all of these not chris sale like so many incredibly high strikeout pitchers and none of them has done 10 in a row like Seaver did Right, and you've had, I think it's it's eight or nine guys now get to nine uh, and not be able to get that tenth. I thought it was interesting when Josh Fuentes put that ball into play. Uh, it, see, it, ca- it caught the entire defense off guard, it seemed. Uh, like Like McNeil did not seem ready for it up the middle, uh, and he ended up throwing it away. Because uh, And then I, I looked, it had been 57 minutes since the Rockies had last put a ball in play. Uh, and that was, that I remember that, yeah, I remember that being a knock on Johan Santana sometimes when, because Santana had a little bit of the DeGrom thing where it was always like, why can't they win as many times as they should for Santana? Nowhere near the extremes of DeGrom, but one explanation I heard at the time was like, he strikes out so many batters and, uh, and Santana would walk a few hits few guys here and there too that that you know guys just sort of get lulled to sleep defensively now if you look at the defensive teams the Mets had behind Johan Santana I don't know that it was being lulled to sleep so much as in many cases just not being very good but uh it's an it's an interesting idea I I don't really know that it holds up in DeGrom's case but yeah in that case certainly it seemed like yeah like no one was expecting a ball to be hit and so Jeff McNeil was like well I don't know what to do I haven't I've never fielded a ball before it's been hours yeah the 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 rotation as a whole has been striking out a ton of batters I think the the strikeout rate for the entire the collective starting five is 31.4 percent uh which is is wild you know that that used to be like 
you know, two years ago, that was basically a league-leading strikeout rate for a starter, uh, or close to it. For one uh, And now yeah. you, you get guys who, who, I think DeGrom's last year was up around 39%, uh, which is oh, a crazy number for a starter. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's DeGrom, it's Walker, it's Peterson's strikeout rate is up. Stroman is the one whose strikeout rate is, like, normal. <laughs> um, uh, it's low. It's, yeah. And he's still pitching quite well, I think you would say. Uh, well, I wanted outing. to make that point because, like, what a, what an outing in Colorado, and like, what a recipe. You know, you know, you know, you know, like pitching to weak contact is is a good method in Colorado, and getting a lot of ground balls is is theoretically the you know the Aaron Cook school of how to pitch in in Colorado. But it's easier said than done, and and Stroman just with with eight extremely strong innings and lowering his ear, or I think actually it might have raised his ERA to 0.9 after three starts you have to be happy with the way Stroman has looked yeah I mean I think he the the pitch count was ridiculous in that game I think he threw 24 pitches in eight innings I think he got his 24 outs on one pitch each that's what it seemed like you know it was it was something like immaculate game yeah (laughs) Steve Nebraska style for a sinker (laughs) baller uh I believe like he was under 50 through five maybe like he something like that uh, it was just uh, a completely different style than DeGrom was getting outs, but but just as effective uh, over eight innings. And that's one of the things you're really happy about if you're the Mets when you're looking at your rotation is the length you're getting out of your starters. Because, uh, you know, we, we talked going into the season uh, how uncertain we were about how long starters could, how many innings starters could throw this year. And, and let's be frank, we still don't know how long that can last. You know, Stroman is a guy who didn't pitch uh, didn't throw a major league pitch last season. DeGrom, you know, got up to uh, 68 innings, I believe. Uh, so we don't know if these guys are going to go 220 uh, or something like that. They probably won't. Um, the, but uh, that they're getting consistently the six innings out of their starters uh, and occasionally seven and eight. You know, DeGrom didn't go eight in any in any start last year, and he, he's already gotten there. They've, I think they've gotten more eight-inning starts. They've gotten two eight-inning starts already this year. I don't think they got any last year. Uh, you know, they've come close to a couple of complete games, even if they're in a seven-inning context. Uh, so you're getting that, that average length, which reduces the toll on your bullpen, uh, and which is why they've been able to basically throw Miguel Castro and Trevor May and Edwin Diaz in the games that are close uh, because a they're not playing very many games and b those guys aren't being used uh, you know you don't have to extend your bullpen beyond those three with your starters going deep into games yeah and I'd say the bullpen has been surprisingly good too I just want to roll back on one point you made which is bringing up Steve Nebraska I don't know how many people have seen that movie well, it's not a very good movie. Um, it's I remember uh, having a lot. I think that for some reason the "What's Steve Nebraska doing up on the roof?" line from George <laughs> Steinbrenner has always gotten me. And there, there was like for like some of those sometimes movies just sort of stick with you a little bit, and that is one for me. The Scout was starring Brendan Fraser um, and and Albert Brooks. I want to say, um, and and I I bring it up because there's another extremely similar and even more obscure movie uh, that's like almost the same story it's with uh with with edward james almost playing the scout called and i had to look it up it's called talent for the game and so those those two movies always go sort of get jumbled up in my head i don't have like a better point to make other than that like i think this baseball scout finding an undiscovered talent 
story is one we could probably go back to now. It's like, that's always cool. Like, yeah, even when it happens in real life, like, if you remember the the Toe Nash saga, saga of, of yesteryear, um, you always love the idea that somewhere in some undiscovered league somewhere is the next Babe Ruth. I've never I've never heard of the Edward James Olmos movie. There, I'd have to I'd have to look that up. The thing I, I dislike so much about the Scout uh, is is it how it you know the Yankees are like the underdog team <laughs> in that movie, which uh, just never really struck me uh, as a as a youngster who did not very much like the Yankees. Uh, I was rooting for the Cardinals to break up Steve Nebraska's twenty seven strikeout eighty one pitch perfect game in Game One of the World Series. Which does seem unlikely. Actually, this is like the second time the 81 Pitch Perfect game has come up for me this this week because I don't know if you saw the New York Times article about Brian Scalabrini, the the former NBA player who has now taken to uh, taking on challengers in one-on-one and just destroying them. Like his point being like, hey, like I wasn't great in the NBA, but to be uh, an NBA player for 11 years or whatever he did means you were just like completely dominant over a normal human being and basketball player uh, in, in playing basketball. And yet all of these people are like, I could take Scalabrini in one-on-one and he just, he just like, he, he barely ever lets up any points. And so I was wondering what it would look like. I specifically used Mark Burley as an example. Like if Mark Burley came and played baseball with me and my friends, we were trying to debate whether or not he could throw an an 81 pitch uh, perfect game. And I think that there would probably be a ball thrown in there, but I got to feel like like a perfect game for Mark Mark Burley against my scrub friends is like a pretty good bet. Yeah, like I don't don't know if you guys would be able to put a ball in play by maybe the third time through the order if he took it easy on you. But like, I mean, Mark, let's, let's be fair to Mark Burley. He's a better baseball player than Scalabrini was a basketball player. Absolutely, uh, I think Mark. Yeah, Mark Burley's like a borderline Hall of Famer, <laughs> and the and we have a guy who comes sometimes and plays who pitched in D three a few years ago, and like that just for for that pitching experience, he is completely dominant and like probably has a career zero point seven ERA <laughs> at our level, and so I feel like and he pitched in D three like longer ago than Mark Burley pitched in the actual major leagues and was still pretty good. So my friends were, were like trying to talk themselves up like, ah, I could probably foul one off off Mark Burley. You couldn't, you couldn't like they, if he could get major league hitters out, we are toast. We are toast. Even if he's throwing 78 at this point. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, insane how good those guys are. Like we've talked about when you get up close and you see what a major league pitch looks like, it's, it's like, laughable at how impossible hitting seems yeah and and it's uh it's one of the reasons they are discussing moving back the mound which we talked about last week looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, another subject, and, and an, un, an unfortunate one that I feel like we need to address because we we have to address it so often this season with the Mets. It seems like uh, just more and more uh, negative news, d- disconcerting news about the culture in in Mets land, and and another uh, great report. Uh, right, not a, it's not. I don't want to call it great, but a, a, a very well researched and, and well written report from Katie Strang and, and Brittany Droli at at the Athletic. Um, obviously, you know the Athletic is behind this podcast, and so we are we are biased in in, in that way. Um, but Sandy Alderson did not uh, cover himself in glory in his response to their inquiry. Yeah, so it was a story diving into uh, certain instances of the Mets culture uh, over the course of of the Wilpon years. Originally, you know, you've got uh, stories about Joe DeVito, who worked in the the kind of the game day department uh, and who left mm-hmm. the, the organization during spring training. Uh, about Holly Linval, who worked who who works in in HR, not being uh, supportive to certain. Um, complaints about people in the the organization uh, and David Newman uh, who worked in marketing uh, through 2018 and then was rehired by Alderson uh, this past offseason uh, it's I think the most disappointing aspect of that story was Alderson's response within it uh, where he he argues uh, essentially that there should be a statute of limitations on these things um, it comes off very defensive he compared uh, you know, kind of the inquiry into uh, behavior by different executives with the Mets and different people with the Mets to capital punishment, which uh, I don't think we need to explain why that's a poor analogy. Uh, he kind of, uh, you can see Alderson sympathizing more with uh, the, the people who are being complained against here than the people who are doing the, the complaining initially, you know, the, the victims being kind of the people who were in power in those situations in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what was disappointing about it is, is that he didn't seem to relate to what the real problem was. And that this goes back to what we've talked about going back to January, uh, is that it would be really nice uh, to see the Mets explicitly grapple with all of this in a remorseful way to, to think about their own like individuals roles within this people like Sandy Alderson who hired Mickey Calloway who hired Jared Porter you know it's 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 okay to say man I was really taken aback by the allegations against Jared Porter I didn't see that coming it was hard to see that coming um and and you know, if, it was if hard to see happens, that coming if you didn't if you didn't dig deep enough into the Cubs because it sounded like maybe if they had if they had done a little bit more probing they they might have seen that coming right like it's not like that was completely unknown coming out of the Cubs organization. I, I think it surprised a fair number of people in baseball in a way that say mm-hmm. the Callaway stuff did not. Uh, Seems and, like and Callaway we, stuff surprised no one, right? He had uh, yeah. a, a nickname that uh, that suggested everyone knew about this. Yeah, and, and we talked about it on the podcast then how, you know, I had heard uh, in, in, I believe it was late May of 2019 about Callaway, and I feel bad that I didn't go 
did, I didn't dig deeper on that story at that point, uh, at, a, at a time when, when Callaway was still the manager of the Mets. Uh, and, you know, that I have felt since then bad about that. Uh, and I've tried to be better about that. We haven't gotten the sense that anyone in the Mets at that time feels particularly bad about that or is trying to be better than that. Uh, we haven't heard them say, like, we feel we're sorry about what happened. Uh, we sympathize with the people uh, that have been harassed by members of our organization and we're going to be better. Uh, you know, that's that's the statement that your, your team president should be making in that instance. <clears throat> and it shouldn't be, come on, isn't there a statute of limitations on some of this stuff? Like, that's right. just not the, the attitude to take on this. It's it like you said. It's it's disappointing. You would hope that the first two go rounds would have uh, taught Alderson a little bit of a better response. No one's expecting uh, an ex-marine in his seventies to be the wokest guy in the room, but you want him to be open-minded, right? And you want him to to sort of understand the way of the world in 2021 and it is no longer you know allowing this stuff to continue and it seems like um you know i think a lot of mets fans with steve cohen came this uh this hope for uh, just like a top-down organizational change to everything and and sort of we associate a lot of this negativity with with the Wilpon era and i think it is this grim reminder that uh not all hedge fund billionaires are necessarily also the best people who aren't going to uh protect uh, you know some some people who are sexually harassing each other and are sexually harassing under underlings in in the office um, I don't know. It's 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 a grim reality that that is uh, at odds with how fun the Mets have been to watch on the field this year. And so it's like it's it's like a feels very feels very Metsish that that you can't just enjoy it. You know, you can't just have like, oh man, they're off to a great start. They've got all these new players. They've got Lindor. They've got them locked up. They're signing extensions. They're doing all the new stuff. The Wilpons are gone. Like, there's so many positive aspects of it, and yet. The Mets, like in just so many ways, can never get out of their own way. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's two points to make with Cohen. The first is that yes, almost all of this stuff that is being reported did not happen under well, none of it it happened under his his watch since he's become the owner. You know, the the Porter stuff they hired him; it had happened earlier, uh, and that they have that that under his ownership they have moved swiftly with regard to certain employees certainly porter they moved quick to fire uh, ryan ellis uh, a hitting coordinator in the minor league system was let go when they they looked back at allegations that he had against him uh joe devito uh who's mentioned in this latest story moved on to you know i, th- I think it seemed like they mutually parted ways is the parlance uh perhaps um and it's it, it's interesting to me that like they didn't come out and say it's because of these things. Like, you know, you, it's it's frustrating at times where you're trying to protect the reputation of the person who's leaving your organization. Like, you know, Ryan Ellis was fired because of this, but they didn't say it was because of that because, you know, they, they want to help out Ryan Ellis moving forward. Um, and, you know, it, it, you could have made kind of more of a, a meaningful stance against uh, sexual harassment within your organization if you let people know you were firing people for it instead of just quietly letting them go. Uh, the, the second point with Cohen uh, is he has brought in a law firm to review the team's, the organization's culture. You know, it, it, we can't 
we can't glide by saying that that Cohen's own hedge funds have had uh, sexual harassment uh, allegations in the past. Um, no, no convictions or anything, but have had lawsuits filed against them for uh, kind of uh, an environment where women did not feel comfortable working uh, in, in, in large degree. Uh, and so hopefully he is able to construct an environment that is different uh, with the Mets, different than what it has been and, and different than his, his hedge funds have operated as. And a, a good solution might be hiring a few more women to, to powerful decision-making roles. I think that that helps. Uh, it's you know I, I think you go back to what Alderson said. It doesn't eliminate. Um, it doesn't necessarily. It doesn't. Not that that necessarily prevents it or eliminates it. Just that it it might add a little perspective. Right, and it, I, I think it's important to do that regardless. Uh, but the 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 fear I think that that I have and and that uh, people I've talked to have is that when you you know when you you don't want to outsource your organization's morality to the women who work there. You know, when, when right. Alderson talked about uh, in the vetting process uh, post Jared Porter, like we're going to talk to more women. Uh, it it just kind of sounds some, you know, that that's important. Yes, it's please the, do the that. Binders but, full of, the binders full of women feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, but, but don't make that it. You know, don't be like, well, we want to do this. Let's talk to the women and see if they'll let us do that. You know, like whether it's signing Trevor Bauer or, uh, you know, is is what this executive did so bad that we shouldn't hire him? You know, it, it's and, and that's what's frustrating about the David Newman story uh, in our in the, the athletics latest story was that, you know, Alderson was told by multiple employees uh, that uh, Newman was, made made work uncomfortable and or miserable for employees uh, within the Mets organization. Uh, and he his response was like uh, he believes, you know, he believes in second chances and he'll tell him to knock it off. Uh, and you know, the the phrasing I think is 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 weird because knock it off is what you you tell. It's probably what you tell your kids at times, right? It's not what you tell uh, an adult in your who, who has a high ranking job, who you've given a high ranking job uh, in your organization to just knock it off. That that I don't I don't know how that right knock it off is for in, like in real world. Knock it off is for the kid one kid stealing the other kid's toy or something. You know, it's not. It's a different. It's the stakes are different, right? Uh, yeah. Does this does this Im- indicate that Alderson is no longer or never was the right man to be the president of the New York Mets in 2021? I mean, I think you've got to you've got to question that. Uh, like so much of of why you bring Sandy Alderson back, like we going back to uh, September and October when Steve Cohen said, you know, if I if I become the owner. Uh, I'm bringing in Sandy Alderson as my team president. There was a sense, like you bring in Alderson uh, with this sense of professionalism and gravitas. Like Sandy, it Alderson, almost felt it, to me like it was it was like throwing a bone to the league. Like, don't worry, we're not going to go totally nuts. We're bringing in Sandy Alderson. Everybody knows him. We're all good here. Yeah, I think that that's a good way of looking at it. Like you look at Alderson's career, going back to his time in Oakland. Like he was a guy who who brought professionalism two different organizations in Oakland, like they were just coming off of the Charlie Finley ownership, uh, which is as, as wild an ownership as you could have. Uh, and Sandy Alderson kind of calmed things down and, and gave the, the athletics of the 1980s a different identity. Uh, the Mets with, with the, you know, when he came in in 2010, late 2010, uh, it was the same kind of thing. Like you've got to go in there and, and <laughs> it's basically sent in by the commissioner uh, to, 
to figure things out with the Wilpons and to run things more smoothly than they were running at the time. Uh, and with Cohen, it was the same kind of like, this is a guy who hasn't owned a major league franchise in the past. Uh, doesn't We don't know exactly what he's about, but if you've got Alderson there, you've got a sense of how things are going to go. Uh, and, you know, he, he said the right things at various stretches here. Talked about being an iconic franchise in November. Uh, the day they fired Jared Porter, I want to look up the exact quote because I want to get it correct because uh, it's, it's one that uh, it bothered me when I looked back at it the other day. And he said, uh, you know, about talking with, with Steve Cohn, what we discussed was my vision for the organization and my vision involved a very significant emphasis on integrity, on ethical behavior, on moral courage. Steve was totally on board with that approach. Um, you know, those are, those Just, are big words. What, what about, there. what about what he said? What about what he said in response to this response, in response to this report, doesn't sp- speak to moral courage to you. Right. I mean, like, it's just, uh, the, those are, are lofty goals. Uh, and if you're going to say it, you've got to back it up. Uh, with I mean, right. and we're Moral courage about- means like, no, we're stopping this. Like, it's over. This guy's fired. This guy's fired. This person, you know, like, uh, that's moral courage. Mean, yeah, it's it's not what happened. And again, pe- people losing their jobs uh, in the Mets organization is not uh, akin to public execution, uh, as, as he suggested. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the issues in that that capital punishment comparison that he made was that there are intermediate steps before firing, obviously, uh, and that, you know, the mm-hmm. Mets have tried to take some of those. Uh, but one of the, the complaints in the story is that the, the HR department is not doing those intermediate steps, that the, right. they're not doing they're not doing that thing that he's saying they're doing. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that was it was very disappointing. And it was an unexpectedly disappointing response, I think, from Alderson, given the uh, the way he usually chooses his words so carefully. I don't know what else to say about it other than what we've said and that it's it's very disappointing. And I think we would both uh, love for it to stop because it's better to root for a team unencumbered by uh, you know, moral issues and it's uh it's more fun to talk about the baseball yeah the baseball is fun right now too and that's yeah. that's the the disappointing part well that, that, i mean that's uh, we got- the it's the disappointing part of the juxtaposition maybe and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free direct tv gives you access to apps like netflix and live sports right next to each other i don't get it let me put it in pigeon terms it's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place how am i supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry get live tv and streaming apps together without a satellite visit directtv.com Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, we got a couple of, of questions uh, that I want to dive into from, from readers. Uh, first one, real quick, is from, from Jeff. Um, and he, uh, he brings up, I only want to point this out because it's, it's, it's happened before. He said, uh, there seems to be no metric for streakiness, either for a player or a team. He suggests a metric. He doesn't give me his, his how it, it would uh, be calculated, but he talks about the players that uh, are reputed for streakiness and, and from the past, to David Wright, Daniel Murphy, Lucas Duda, Curtis Granderson, and now Michael Conforto being very streaky. 
If you uh, dive into the Fangraphs archive in 2011, a guy named Seth Samuels, who might very well be listening to this, he is a, a longtime reader of mine and uh, someone I've never met but with whom I have like, a, it seems like a dozen sort of personal connections, people I know from other walks of life that also know him from other walks of life. He actually dove really deep into streakiness in 2011 for a, a pair of posts called We're Going Streaking on Fangraphs. And what he concluded was that uh, player streakiness exists within a season. Like, guys definitely have streaky years. You can look back on someone and say, like, yeah, he was he was really up and down. He ran hot and cold all year in, in 2016. But there is no correlation year over year. And so uh, his conclusion was, while uh, people can be streaky for a while, there is really no such thing as a streaky player. Now, the math is beyond me. But that feels right to me. I feel like there's there's a, so much confirmation bias in how we see guys like that. And so uh, now if we're going to label Conforto as streaky, when he gets hot because he's going to get hot, people say, oh, here he goes. He's on his hot streak again. And then when he when he has a few rough games, they'll say, oh, here he goes. He's he's streaky. But I think to some extent all players are streaky. It's just the, the nature of baseball and, and – um, and so much of baseball is is dominated by randomness that that even if a player were uh, as consistent as possible, if you looked at his game logs uh, and and divvied them up the right way and used arbitrary endpoints, you you could certainly identify hot streaks and and cold streaks that just occur from from how the ball lands. Um, and and also, uh, I think that there's it 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 suggests there's no reason to really worry about this being a thing with with Conforto over the long term. Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting finding. Uh, I think it, it reminds me of like how, how I look at clutch players. Like, I think there are a lot of clutch moments where, where a player comes mm-hmm. through in the clutch. Uh, I don't know how many. I, I feel like there are maybe a handful of players uh, who have been consistently clutch, uh, but that it's a, 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 a phrase or a title that gets passed on to, to too many people. There are not as many clutch or unclutch players uh, as we talk about and I think it's probably the same with streaky hitters like Conforto comes to mind uh, covering Jackie Bradley Jr. in Boston he was a streaky hitter Yasmani Grandal was a notor- has been a notoriously streaky hitter uh, I wonder uh, what those guys look like within the analysis that Seth did I have to read it and, and see if the math will almost certainly be over my head as well um, to see how that works but it, I do think it's something that you fall back on when analyzing the sport a little quickly that, oh, yeah, he's just a streaky hitter, you know, he goes through streaks like everyone does. Um, yeah. Uh, and maybe the intensity of them is a little bit higher for for certain players. But that, uh, you know, like Conforto was not a streaky hitter in 2020. Uh, he was he was good he's the whole season. He was, very, he was yeah. consistently good. Uh, and you go back to 2019 and, uh, you know, 2019, I think he had basically one rough stretch uh, I want to say in, in July and then a, a pretty hot stretch right after that. But outside of that, it. it, it it didn't run really hot and really cold for him back and forth the way that I think we generally think of with a streaky hitter. You mentioned the clutch thing, and that's obviously something that just comes up over and over again in baseball and forever. Because it's if you go back to the earliest uh, Bill James work, what he was showing was that there's really not a lot of evidence that guys are are consistently better in the clutch. I my case would always be that that every major leaguer is a clutch performer to some extent, that you wouldn't get to the major leagues without the uh, the ability to perform under pressure. 
the best explanation I've I've heard for uh, the guys we perceive as clutch. Um, and it's from from Vince Gennaro, who was the the president of or might still be the president of of Saber, the Society for American Baseball Research. Um, and I'm not sure because he's he's I don't think he's ever published it, and so I wonder if maybe after further uh, inquiry it didn't hold up. But his his thesis, which uh, sounds good to me, was that some hitters perform like there are some hitters who feast on bad pitches and mistakes. And some hitters perform better uh, across the board. Like there, so like his point was like so. Alex Rodriguez, he showed happens to struggle against elite pitching, but dominates bad pitching. And David Ortiz and Carlos Beltran, guys, we we traditionally associate with clutchness, tend to perform sort of the same across the board, whether they're facing an elite pitcher or a bad pitcher. And so. Um, it creates the the uh, perception of clutchness because those are the guys who can come through in the ninth inning when they're facing an elite closer, whereas a guy like A-Rod, who, who is hoping for, who is, or who is, um, you know, doing a lot of his damage off bad pitches, um, isn't going to perform as well when he's not getting a bad pitch. Man, I... That's a really passive-aggressive swipe at Joe Nathan and Brian Fuentes as non-elite closers there, because I believe Rodriguez had game-tying home runs off of them in the same postseason. Um, and I'm a and I'm an A-Rod apologist, so I would say, <laughs> well, he's he, you know even if you look at the clutch numbers, they're better than you would think for a guy with his reputation. Yeah, I I, I think those reputations are are formed extremely early in a player's career. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember, like, covering the the Red Sox and David Price. Uh, I just actually, you know, you go back to, like, the 2015 postseason, uh, and I remember Price and Matt Harvey, I believe, started the same day. I think Price had his game two start in the ALCS where he pitched, like, you know, was, was pitching <clears throat> wonderfully into the seventh inning, and then the Royals did what they do and got, like, three bloop singles and won the game. Uh, and Price still hadn't had a win as a starter in the postseason. And Matt Harvey, in, like, his second postseason start, uh, pitched really well and it was like oh like well price can't pitch in the playoffs harvey knows how to win in october already like it was two starts that's all it took um and you, you see how quickly those labels get tossed around uh on guys and i i think the the point that that you, you reference with vince vince's point makes sense like pablo sandoval was was a guy uh who people would say uh could hit good pitching because he just swung at everything uh and you know had a three home run game in game one of the world series against justin verlander for the giants uh so seemed to bear that out uh over the course of of most of his postseason career though there, there were other years where he was not as successful in october second question from a reader we're going too deep today just because i was i was excited about uh i was excited to have that that knowledge i believe so I thought I had been actually cited in Seth's work, but um, it was, I, if you ask him, I believe that something I posted to Ted Coders in like 2010 uh, did plant that seed in his head or at least or at least help nourish it. And so I'm, I'm proud of the, the ancillary work I, I did toward that, uh, that contribution. Uh, but this, is, this one's for you, and this is from, from Andrew, who emailed wondering, uh, he wants my thoughts, but my thoughts, uh, you're going to be better informed on this. Uh, he says, what are your thoughts on the likelihood of Syndergaard and or Stroman being brought back following the season? With Walker and Carrasco under contract for 22 and Peterson as an option, I only see one rotation spot necessary to uh, filling. Would love to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd be extremely surprised if both were back. Uh, I think it's maybe one comes back. Uh, I don't think it's guaranteed that one of them is back in 2022. I think they will try to re-sign one of them. Uh, and I, I think it's probably, uh, they probably both get to free agency. I don't think we're, we're thinking an extension at this point before free agency. Uh, you know, with Syndergaard, you can give him the qualifying offer. Stroman, you can't. Uh, so you see how, you know, you see how Syndergaard's 12 to 15 starts go uh, over the, the course of this season. You know, mm. we a, a few weeks back, Lance McCullers Jr. signed uh, his extension with the Astros for $85 million. Uh, and McCullers had, you know, he came back from his Tommy John surgery in 2020 and, and made 11 starts, uh, which is a full season's worth, but still 11 starts removed from Tommy John surgery. Uh, he signed an $85 million contract. Uh, and Syndergaard will be about that many starts, maybe a few more removed from Tommy John surgery when he hits free agency and has been uh, a fair amount better than McCullers over the course of his career and will be, I think, a year older, but that that's not, he's still under 30 hitting free agency, so should get uh, a significant amount more than, than the $85 million, uh, than that McCullers got. Uh, so I, I don't know yet how the Mets would prioritize those two, Syndergaard versus Stroman. I don't know how the industry would prioritize those mm-hmm. two. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's so it's such an interesting question because I think, like, unfairly, you know, there are there are there have been doubts about Stroman just because of his size, and Syndergaard is like this, like you know, the image of pitcher that you're looking for right and so you wonder the extent to which that creeps into heads and and the extent to which you can't like on you can't just like look at the stats and honestly assess them without thinking like oh well Strowman has this body type that I don't associate with uh dominant pitching over a long term and and Sittergaard who has been somewhat injury prone does very much have the body type you think of as like okay here's Nolan Ryan Right. And, and Syndergaard, I think you can think if you're a more progressive franchise that there's more there to unlock that the Mets were unable to over a stretch mm-hmm. of time, especially like in, in 18 and 19. Uh, whereas with Stroman, uh, first of all, it, it seems like he's he's unlocking it himself uh, so far this year. And it's like the the peripheral numbers, the strikeout rate, for instance, is not elite. Um, and teams have gone away from sinkers in general. Uh, they, they prefer four seamers up in the zone with the way that, that hitters uh, have their launch angle swings now. Uh, and so Stroman, the way Stroman pitches is not valued as much as it used to be. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the, the market views him if he has a season, you know, if he puts together an entire 2021 that looks, you know, pretty close to what he did in 2019. I think his ERA that year was about 3-2-2 or something. It's exactly three two two. I'm looking at his baseball reference page. That's good. That's a good pull from Tim Britton. Um, you know, if if he does that for a full season now in this run scoring environment, uh, consistently for one team that that's a good team throughout, uh, and hits free agency off of that season rather than off a year where he didn't pitch at all. Uh, you know, I wonder how big the market gets for him. Um, you know, I, I think the Mets would probably lean towards Syndergaard right now if they're prioritizing those two guys because of what the stuff could do for him and, and how he might age with his body. Um, and that the fact that he's gone through the Tommy John, you kind of everyone expected Syndergaard to experience Tommy John. Uh, if he were hitting for agency without having 
undergone Tommy John surgery, you might be worried that it's around the, the bend for him. Uh, if he comes back healthy from this, you feel like there's probably more time removed before he may need another one, uh, which which a lot of guys eventually do. So, uh, but I, I and so I think he might be like slightly ahead in their prior, prioritization right now, but that that can very much change over the course of this entire season, and it might be yeah, changing already given what Strong's I- given you. Right, I would guess that Strowman, at least to the fan base, has won a lot of people over with his his first three starts. And if he were to keep up this pace and go thirty three and zero with a zero point nine zero ERA this year, uh, I think that people would probably prioritize Strowman over Syndergaard at that point. Yeah, I, I think if he if he does get if he does break the Dutch Leonard ERA, not even the Bob Gibson ERA, the Dutch Leonard point nine six ERA from. <laughs> Uh, like 1914 or whatever. Uh, then I, I think he'd probably he'd probably do better than the qualifying offer. Is my guess. It's already looking like he made a pretty shrewd choice there, taking the qualifying offer because I, you know, he was he was set to be one of the better free agents on the board this off season, and so I think it raised a few eyebrows when he took that offer. Um, but right now he is looking like he is, and and there's a long a lot of season to go. Obviously, we're not really expecting him to go 33 and 0. Um, but it's 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 seeming like he made a, a good choice for himself there. How concerned are you now that we're uh, 11 games into the season about Dominic Smith's home run pace? Uh, it's not the best, but I feel like it's a small sample size. He's going to pick it up. <laughs> right, he's, you know, he's, he's got-, got time. And yeah, he's going to have, I remember when, when Bonds hit 73, um, I remember because I went to Mexico for my brother's wedding. Um, uh, I wish I knew. I think it, I want to say it was June. And we were in Mexico for like four days across which he hit like seven home runs or something. And, and it was just like, you know, Bonds was having a good season. And then, you know, I, I remember like I specifically remember being in a bar in 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 Mexico and someone telling me like Bonds hit two more homers tonight and being like, oh, man, something special is happening with this guy. Um, and so like, that's, that's what I'm looking for is like that there will be, there will be ups and downs. Like we said, streakiness is natural. Uh, he's going to hit a run where he goes like 12 straight at bats with home runs and then he'll be right back on pace. <laughs> he, he needs, uh, he needs to homer at a 78 homer pace over a full season to reach 75 currently. I'm just, just keeping yeah, you uh, that. updated. That's well within reason. Well within reason. <laughs> Um, if you have questions for the podcast, you could please email us at asktedberg at gmail.com or get at us on Twitter. Tim is at Tim Britton. I am at OG Tedberg. Uh, Tim, uh, the Mets are heading to Chicago for three and we are going to be back later in the week to talk about it. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, there is more snow in the, well, not, sorry. Let's let's remove the hopefully what? at the start of that sentence. Yeah, there's we're more have to edit snow that out. and cold weather in the, in the forecast for Tuesday and maybe into Wednesday. Hopefully, we are discussing a full three game series uh, later in the week. I look forward to that. Thanks as always for listening, and peace out. Adios.